Hello, my name is uh, Matt Scott. I am the winemaker and viticulturist at Seven Vine Vineyards. Uh, we're standing in our uh, La Crescent block on site, so some of our estate vines. Uh, these grapes were developed by the University of Minnesota, and we've been growing them here for many, many years now. So the University of Minnesota has been working on a program where they take the vinifera or the European, or if we think of them as West Coast grapes, and they're hybridizing them just through cross-pollination, just like Mendel did with pea plants. Um, and then they plant the seeds, grow them, and so they're hybridized with our local riparia, and then some of the local grapes from the East Coast, which are Labrusca. Um, and so those are naturally cold hardy. So what they're trying to do is achieve the cold hardiness, but keep the vinifera profile for the vinification or the winemaking. University of Minnesota is really in the top three tier for producing wine grapes. Uh, UC Davis is obviously at the top of that list. Uh, Cornell is uh, right up there number two, and then University of Minnesota is sitting at number three for making uh, uh, cold hardy or any wine grape in, in uh, the United States. When you're out here in the vineyard, right. what do you like about being out here? Well, you know, it, it's a tangible thing to me. It, it's where we grow our food. A lot of people go to the grocery store and forget that this is where everything starts. And I mean, we're farmers. Winemakers aren't just, you know, sitting down in a fancy cellar doing, you know, little science experiments. Uh, we're growers, so we're out in, in nature. We're kind of in balance. We're out there working with the earth to provide a product to, you know, civilization. This is three women and a bottle of wine. Three friends. Three former TV reporters. And one bottle of wine. Delving into whatever interests us. News, not news. What affects our lives? Because it's probably affecting yours too. I'm Kim Inslee. I'm Lynn Melling. And I'm Julie Barkey. And now on with the pod. Hi everyone, it's Lynn, Julie, and Kim with three women and a bottle of wine. Today we are at Seven Vines vineyards with the winemaker matt scott so matt we want to learn all about minnesota wines what makes them unique to wines from other parts of the country so uh we grow a lot of hybrids um, our reds don't tend to have as much what we would describe as free uh tannins uh in fact uh usually think of the big tannic reds from california uh, uh we, we can't produce those because they have what's called bound tannins if we could unbind those like cornell's trying to do they would actually be far more tannic we'd have the biggest reds in the world right here in the midwest or going towards the east coast but unfortunately the bound ones you can't taste uh, they're chemically bound and so the free tannins are very low this is also scientific who knew <laughs> there was so much right chemistry it's, yeah we just like to enjoy the wine it's we nice hear this <laughs> about apples but we don't really hear this about grapes so it is very fascinating and tell us a little bit more about the university of minnesota and how it played a big role in the winemaking industry here in minnesota right so the horticulture research center uh, is just past the landscape arboretum it's a separate spot and you just mentioned apples it's also where they're doing all the apple breeding um, and so in the past, Jim Luby had actually overseen, he's the professor at the U, both the apple breeding and the grape breeding programs. Uh, he just recently retired. So Matt Clark now is in charge of the grape breeding. Um, but they, they literally have spent decades developing these varietals. Uh, Marquette, one of our reds that is kind of a rock star of a winemaking. Uh, it's the grandson of Pinot Noir. It took 10,000 crosses to produce that vine. So wow. probably a decade of Peter Hempstead's life. <laughs> well, that's the perfect segue into Minnesota. 10,000 lakes, 10,000 crosses. Good we catch. would. <laughs> so, you know, Minnesotans are really hardy. How hardy does it have to, does a grape have to be to survive around here and, and turn into a gorgeous wine? Yeah, good question. So, um, 
you know, obviously we're not next to the oceans. We're at latitude 45. It actually runs through the, the middle of Minneapolis through the U of M campus there, and that goes right through Bordeaux. Um, so if we were close to the ocean, we would have similar weather to Bordeaux, <laughs> but we're not. We're in the middle of a continent. <laughs> we get these uh, polar vortexes. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think last year, uh, this site probably hit minus 32. Oh. Uh, it was a pretty cold year. We had another polar vortex year. And so a vinifera grape would just die right to the protection point, which would be the snow. Snow is an insulator. It will keep it from getting into those Arctic uh, temperatures. So at the Arboretum or the HRC, they have vinifera grapes. They have all the Pinot Noir, Cab, uh, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blancs, but they have to lay them down on the ground and protect them. They can freeze. They just can't get to minus 32. And so these special grapes are developed to hang out on the trellis and be viable uh, just like you'd see out on the west coast. They don't need the winter production. Um, it's a little harder in a polar vortex year where you get no snow. because yeah, everything's can... harder in a polar vortex. <laughs> yeah. Last year we, we got the Arctic air and, and just rain. If you remember, it was ice mm-hmm, everywhere. Mm-hmm. That was hard on a lot of vines. And so they have to struggle. They're as hardy as we are. <laughs> so I really like to think that we are a lot like vines. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so things. grapes that are specific to wines. Well, I, So my grandpa, he always grew grapes. Mm-hmm. He lived in way northern Minnesota, sure. um, Crosby, Brainerd area. And I was always yeah. curious to know, I mean, across across Minnesota so if people are listening and they do grow grapes are there certain varieties that do well in certain parts of the state that just any old you know gardener could try their hand at right <clears throat> so there's Minnesota is a very interesting and diverse kind of state when it comes to zones the further north we get the colder it mm-hmm. gets I mean they mm-hmm. go up to uh uh the far north to test out vehicles to see how cold hardy they are <laughs> yeah. uh, in the winter time and uh, uh, those areas aren't as viable even for the U of M grapes and so really there's kind of a line you can draw maybe from Duluth going towards Fargo and north of there it's going to be pretty hard to grow anything uh, but south of there as we go through the, the state there's a spectrum even in southern Minnesota they can grow some varietals uh, some of the Swenson varietals or even some of the uh, the varietals from Cornell University uh, that we may not be able to here in Stillwater. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that diversity uh, throughout the state. Well, and it's, you know, and I have to say, there's a wedding that's going to be going on here. This is a fabulous place to have events. And so the bridal party is is not far from us. We're not going interfere, to interfere with that. Uh, they will be drinking wine. And so when, we, when I'm looking for wine, you know, I go to the store and I'll see the varieties that I'm used to seeing. When I'm looking for Minnesota wines, I'm going to see some names that I've never seen before if you're from a different part of the region. So what are those grapes that we are seeing on the Minnesota wine bottles right now? Yeah, so the most common grapes, uh, you'd see Marquette for a red, Frontenac Noir is another red. Um, for whites, La Crescent's very popular, Frontenac Gris. Uh, there's also Swenson varietals that have been around for quite a while. They were developed in Osceola, Wisconsin, right on the St. Croix River, hmm. so the border of Minnesota. Um, and, and you'd see things like, uh, you know, for table grapes, Swenson Red. Uh, there's Louise Swenson. Uh, so there's a lot of different grapes that, that Elmer developed. Um, they're not quite meant to be a wine grape. Uh, he actually was a teetotaler. He didn't drink, so he was developing table grapes. Um, but some of them started being used uh, by other growers to, and breeders to develop wine-type grapes. Um, uh, but the U of M grapes just seem to have a, a, 
upper hand in this game. They were developed specifically for vinification. So, oh god, I'm sorry, Matt. I stepped on you. No, no, go ahead. Not literally, just figure. <laughs> okay, um, I do want to ask you because a lot of people, when they think wine, Minnesota is probably the last place that they think of. Here's your opportunity. Why would people? What do you think people should know about Minnesota wines? Um, you know, we're producing world-class wines. Um, uh, Marquette that I produced uh, three years ago, uh, John Toole from the University of Minnesota brought it to Germany uh, because the university's Marquette program may be jumping over to that country. Um, and everyone who tried it thought that it was better than the local reds that the Germans are producing. So we, we have some high-quality winemaking potential here. Um, it's just really getting the word out about it. Well, and you've you've done some competitions. You went to San Francisco and had good things happen there, and I know you're taking another variety there as well. Right. So La Crescent uh, has performed really well. The last uh, uh, two competitions, my La Crescent earned silver and gold. Um, at that competition. Um, I've earned a double gold there. Wow, um, congratulations. Yeah. And those are all from cold climate grapes. So. so is it just maybe the Minnesotans were just not used to bragging about ourselves? We need to start bragging about our wines a little bit I more? So. I think there's some of that. And, and, and you know, the, there's been an embracement of local beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's just, that hasn't happened for wine yet. People haven't seen it as something that, oh, well, you know, there's more breweries and wineries that may be part of it. Uh, but now that we're up to 73 wineries, I looked at the state website yesterday, there's 73 licensed wineries in Minnesota. I had no idea. Me it's, neither. It, it's starting to grow more, but there's about 125 breweries. So, um, <laughs> it, you know, we just aren't at the same level of production that they're at yet. And so as the word gets out and you see more of the top tier uh, wines coming out, uh, I think people will start to embrace it more. Well, and in case you're modest, we'll help you brag about your <laughs> wines. Right. Well, and I think shelf space too. You know, you go to the you go to the stores and you're looking at the wine, and I don't always see right. very. You know, often I don't. You know, you have to ask for it. So, are our local retailers um, cooperating in that sense with you? I think that it it, it is. They're growing more. Um, in the past, I've worked uh, with the Haskells, uh, uh, Bo Farrell. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've had many of our products uh, uh, or my products from different wineries. And so I think you see that Cub Foods has a big section now. Um, so you've seen more embracement. Total Wine has a huge local section. Good. Um, yeah. So it's buying local, right. supporting local right. people and who are listening. delicious. Yeah. Well, listeners, as, if you're, as you're enjoying your glass of wine, support right. local and look for those Minnesota wines on the shelves. Well, there's kind of a history that's lost. Um, a lot of people don't know that Robert Mondavi was born on the Iron Range. Really? I didn't know that. His father, Caesar <laughs> Mondavi, used to bring from Lodi grapes on train up to the Iron Range because there were a lot of immigrants that made wine. And that's when he realized at one point, well, I can make more money brokering grapes. So he moved the family out to California and created an empire. Really? Wow. That all started from our iron range. <laughs> well, you've got to carry that tradition a little bit, too, because I know that you will mix in some California varieties in with what you have here. We do. You know, it, it, like I said earlier, the, the bound tannins in our reds it make it so that you can only achieve a certain level of tannins. So if you're trying to get that big California robust tannic wine, you, you do have to work with some vinifera. Uh, the university is working on new varietals in a few years. I may have to eat crow on that one because they may be, do- <laughs> be releasing something new that'll blow everyone out of the water. So I have to ask. I'm a big fan of boxed wines just because they don't break when I drop them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> She's a big camper too. I, I love got to go with love her. camping. Is there are there any boxed? Minnesota wines. You know, that, that's a good question. I don't actually know the answer okay. to you. I know there's canned Minnesota wines now. Really? Um, uh, 
four daughters down in uh, Rochester area. Um, I think Chankaska Creek may have just released one. Um, and it so can. That's getting embraced, and, and partly because of these you know music events or sporting mm-hmm. venues where they don't want glass there sure and so a canned wine is more of a drink now wine so it's usually whites rosés or a a drink now style red uh, nouveau style Uh, i'm getting thirsty ladies Mm -hmm. i don't know about you (laughs) before we go to the break though you bring up something so it it used to be all about the cork you know and then screw tops are starting to come back do those things make a difference should we just should we just break ourselves out of our old thinking and just drink the wine however we can get it? <laughs> well, you know, I, I've worked uh, with screw caps in the past, and uh, they even have modern screw caps now that breathe like a cork. And mm. so the technologies are growing, but there's a stigma to it, and there's the tradition. It's just cool to pull the cork out. Everything we do here right now has a cork in it, but we're using a high-tech cork, so um, the process that they create it, they grind it down and they clean it so it can't get, get a cork taint. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we're even deviating from the traditional cork. It's still a cork, but it's going to have less cork taint and less failure because the inclusions in the bark of, of the tree are, are what cause some of the failures. A traditional cork is going to have 1% to 3% failure rate. Um, the ones that we're using have... Point zero one. So wow, very, I am very learning low. so I much. I was just going to say that. You took the words right out of my mouth. I didn't know there was so much to know about wine. It's this is like, becoming my favorite podcast. <laughs> it's a marriage between science and, and art. Yeah, um, and I've always approached it that way because I'm a scientist, but I also have a minor in studio painting. And so it's the marriage of the two things. <laughs> huh. I love it. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break when we come back the final flight. Three Women and a Bottle of Wine is supported by 515 Productions. 515 Productions is a video production business with base camps in Minneapolis and Des Moines, Iowa. Ian, who's so great, and his crew understand the art of creative storytelling, and they know how to make video look really, really good. Learn more at 515productions.com. Our logo was created by Aaliyah DeSalt, a creativity guru offering art workshops to everyone from business executives to book clubs because we all have untapped creative potential just waiting to be unleashed. You can find her contact information on our website. You can stay up to date on our podcast by checking out our website, threewomenandabottleofwine.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you'll find behind-the-scenes photos and, of course, much, much more. Be sure you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. And of course, it's time for our final flight. Matt, let's begin with what is your least favorite chore as a winemaker? Right. Well, a lot of people think of this glamorous idea. You see these ads about retiring and being in the cellar and it's all glorious. The reality is that winemaking is about half being a custodian because you clean a tank and sanitize a tank so that you can mess it up and then clean it and sanitize it again. And so you just have to <laughs> have the reality check one day that, well, half of my job is really just being a, a professional cleaning person. Yeah, it sounds uh, like broadcasting. It's really not all that glamorous. <laughs> right, right. Uh, the rest of it's really cool, but that part of it, you know, it's not that it's my least favorite. It's just something you deal with that's part of the job. Yeah. All right. So did you ever have a bad batch? Personally, I haven't. I've been a consultant for many years, and I've gone in and helped people deal with that. Um, I like to have, I smell the wines every day, every, anything that's fermenting, you're constantly going through. Um, have I had something that turned out different than I expected? Yes. Uh, every year it's farming. And so what happens, in, you know, terroir is a real thing. The climate, mm-hmm. the soil, 
things will change each season. And so if you're trying to make a wine taste exactly the same every year, it might not. And hmm. so there can be small deviations like that where the fruit character may change. Um, uh, or maybe uh, in that year you got a little bit lower yield or something like that. You know, if it was desiccated a little bit, you can extract more sugar that you might make into a port. So there's there's all nuances and changes. But uh, typically, if you are monitoring it really well, um, you're not going to have those issues. Matt's bringing it home that we'd have to have a whole lot more schooling in order to do this. (laughs) Okay, so if we're visiting Seven Vines Vineyard, and we are, what is the one wine that we have to try? I gravitate towards reds. Marquette's my favorite grape to work with in this region. Um, so you, you should come in and try our Marquette. Uh, we make several versions of it, but the traditional Marquette is delicious. Uh, we have a whole cluster version, uh, and then we have a few one-offs uh, that we do just for our wine club. Uh, but in the future, we're probably going to try to expand those out and make more quantity of those. Um, so I would definitely focus on the Marquette wine. All right, Matt point duly noted <laughs> that's what i'm going to be drinking when this wraps up right. and this does wrap it up from seven vines vineyard here in delwood it's a beautiful location in the north metro and of course we thank them for hosting and we thank you for listening to three women and a bottle of wine